Hello, hello, Mr. James. Welcome to Anatomy of a Rumor. How are you, my friend? Yeah, good, mate. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, no problems. Uh, look, I'm, I'm really um, excited about today's episode because I know you're someone who's got a, a very rational approach to marketing, someone who's very level-headed when it comes to marketing. So I'm excited to get, um, get to pick your brain today. Um, yeah, no all right, cool. <laughs> Before we get going, um, John, for the audience, um, I just want you to give a quick uh, rundown of your career. How do you relate to the topic of B2B marketing? What's been your experience with marketing and what's your journey been in marketing? Well, I haven't really done anything else, um, uh, professionally anyway. Um, I've had lots of jobs, uh, different <laughs> industries, but yeah, look, uh, I was formally trained at university back when formal training was quite key um, and respected. Uh, mm. There's a bit of a conjecture these days, uh, whether you need it or not, like depending on which tweets you follow. But anyway, the point is um, I was first in strategic marketing back in the day at university. Then um, during university, I was working for work placements. Uh, so this was kind of putting the theory into practice uh, while I was studying. So I did that for a market research firm, a superannuation or annuity firm, and a manufacturer of trade goods as well. Um, so very, very different businesses. And uh, then since mm -hmm. then, you know, uh, lived in four different countries, worked there, uh, digital agencies, client side, B2G, B2B, B2C, um, flipping back and forth, started my mm -hmm. own agency, lots of B2B clients in there. Similar to sort of similar your client base from what mm. you described, uh, so very much applied mm. knowledge. Built that agency up, then moved to San Francisco, working in a growth role there, growth manager for a startup. So uh, before that, I was working with some tech clients as well. So I sort of then went fully into the the SaaS tech world. Then came back mm. just prior to COVID, um, did some advisory work in my own platform. Uh, a lot of advisory board work these days, um, so that's like giving advice to executives on how to make better decisions around a lot of the things we may talk about today, and uh, a lot of those are B2B, so um, yeah, you can ask me anything and I'll, I'll give you a pretty detailed answer. Excellent, excellent. Um, it's, it's well, first of all, you look actually quite young for someone with that much experience. And I'm also shocked that you have so much hair working in marketing for so long, you still got so much hair on your head. Uh, it's it's fading pretty rapidly, so looks can be deceiving, let's just put it that way. <laughs> right, cool, cool. You mentioned in there that you're working, you, you have your own platform as well, so are you a SaaS founder as well? Uh, yeah, but it's uh, it's taking second fiddle to all the other work that I do, which brings in cash. Um, so it's been a, a bit of a project the last two years, but my own foray into producing my own media and, and podcasts and things like that uh, is sort of the part of the bigger picture that I'm slowly building in the back end. And some of the client work that I do obviously is quite mm. applied. So I've been testing out some of the things that I'm then scaling inside a, a SaaS platform that will be, um, that's always pending release. So let's just uh, put it that way. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a good training ground for you. I mean, I mean, you can take that knowledge and apply into customers and be more relatable. So definitely a very interesting move there. Um, John, before we get started, I mean, I want to um, I want to get uh, your philosophy around marketing across the audience, and uh, I want to I want to give them an idea of how you think about marketing, right? Uh, so, briefly, give us an overview of what marketing is to you, especially in B two B. What is marketing? Well, you know, this this is a good question because um, if you ask anybody, and I do this quite often, like accountants or people on flights when I'm transiting to cities and doing work. And I ask anybody not in marketing what it is, they pretty much 99% of the time say it's advertising or it's some form of promotion or some of them may say sales. Um, and traditionally, that hasn't been the case. But then obviously there's, there's programs like Mad Men and all this advertising sort of agency-centric thing. So a lot of their only exposure to marketing has been the comms or advertising portion of the marketing discipline. For me... I'm a bit of more of that sort of four P's style thing because that's what I was trained in back in the day. Um, and that's mm -hmm. also what growth is in a SaaS context. So in the tech world, marketing was a dirty word, so they rebranded it to growth. But essentially, it's, it's marketing. In fact, the guy who coined the phrase mm -hmm. uh, growth hacking is a formally trained marketer. A lot of people don't know this. So all of these tech people who hate marketing but like growth hacks and growth, don't realize that that was the case. Anyway, so the point is, uh, marketing for me is the mm. function of the business that concerns itself with market and everything to do with the market. 
And that's really critical because without that, I would call it an, almost an unnatural force within the organization. What happens by default is that everybody else in the organization avoids exposure to the market and just sort of does their own thing, their own little department. And it's you unnaturally as a marketer have to bring that force back into the organization, which people don't like because it validates or invalidates some of the assumptions they have about what things work and what don't and how important their job role is and how much the consumer notices things mm. and doesn't. So it, it actually um, tends to cause a lot of friction because of, of that nature. Um, classic example, um, maybe I'm a founder or I've started a, I'm a trading or started a business and I think because I'm really good at what I do that you know, um, I have this really quality process and that the better quality it is, the, the more the customer's gonna notice and they'll talk about it and then tell their friends and you know, they're gonna be successful. But uh, that often is wrong and through the cursed knowledge, uh, a lot of the stuff the customers don't even notice. Um, they don't appreciate it. They sort of go off of like a mm. vibe or very piecemeal information. So um, if I was a marketer and I would know that truth and I'm bringing it back to the founder or the, the owner of the business and told him, well, this actually, they don't, they don't notice that, they don't care. So why are you spending a lot of time? They can get really uh, affronted by that reality mm -hmm. and, and may pick, uh, sort of push back on that. So that's just one kind of example. But for me, it's just bringing the force of the market um, back into the business and concerning yourself with the market at all times. And this is expressed through the product, the product offering, which is elements of brand and people and everything. It's pricing, it's packaging, it's the positioning of the offering in the consumer's mind. Um, you know, this brand sort of overlaying all of that. There's the promotion side, which we kind of already talked about, which is what everyone fixates on. But for me, if you get pricing, mm. you get product, you get distribution right, you almost don't need promotion. Um, like they always say a good product exactly. sells itself. It's not always true, but um, yeah, I think mm. what can get overlooked is those other fundamentals, which are really key. Mm. You, you, you mentioned an interesting point in there that B2B tech, tech particularly is, uh, is obsessed with growth and growth somehow tends to be a different thing than marketing. Um, like I, I don't uh, align with that mindset. But what do you think, it, 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 why do you think that mindset is? What is the difference between growth and marketing? For me, it's all the same. How come is it different for other people? Yeah, look, I asked the guy who created the word growth hacking, Sean Ellis. I asked him this question and there's a really good video um, on his response. Mm. But let me give my take on it. Um, I see growth as more of a, a mindset. It's part mindset, which is the growth mindset, which is a basically... I don't know everything and I'm going to find out. I'm going to test and learn and iterate and improve over time in the circular kind of feedback loop process. And, and maybe I don't know what I'm doing at the beginning, but I'll find out and I'll get better and better and better. And then eventually I'll go to this point where that process is infallibly going to grow the business or grow whatever objective or achieve whatever objective that I set out to do. And that requires a key difference mm -hmm. that a lot of non-growth people miss which is this maybe this traditional marketing mindset where we go, well, let's do a campaign. Let's do this thing and it's really cool and design and video and blah, 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 win, win an award and then it stops. And they go, let's do another campaign. And then let's do another campaign. Mm. Whereas growth is always on, it's iterative, it's constant feedback loop cycle. Um, so that's why the measurement and research piece is really key. And sometimes I think mm. you need to have that maturity and we're coming back to the growth mindset of proving yourself wrong and proving your own opinions and assumptions at the beginning of that process wrong and having the maturity to deal with that because that can be quite affronting to the political standing you have maybe within the organization, uh, which is why a lot of traditional marketers don't uh, follow that process. So a lot of uh, the software world mm. is very much steeped into that growth mindset and that test and learn environment. And that's probably my biggest uh, way to explain the difference. Uh, you'll notice traditional market is a very advertising mm. agency based. It's all campaigns. It's all about winning an award or having a, a cute video or something like that. And, you know, it's a political piece. It's a project that then the head of the marketing department can own and go, hey, to the next employer, which they want to go to a bigger brand or, you know, a more senior position. Mm. Hey, I did this piece of work and look how cool it was. And here's a video and it's really well produced and everything. And a growth mindset person will go, well, yeah, but mm. what did that do? Did your revenue figures go above baseline? What was the profit margin? How many customers acquired? All these kind of like more fundamental bottom line questions that 
the owner of the business or the finance people in the business and the CEO actually care about. Um, so that's my sort of best explanation of the difference between the two. Mm. Excellent. So, it, but when we, when, when, when we talk about that, we, I, I, as someone who's in the market doing some of this stuff, so I, I see a place for both. I see a place for iterative testing, A-B testing, and I see a place for creating a very good brand campaign and launching it on mass media as well. But is there a good balance? Is there, I think the ideal path is where you actually combine the both. So what is the right mix of both? Yeah, look, um, there tends to be this um, polarization in in the industry in certain circles, depending on who you talk to, about this performance versus brand or, you know, short-term salesy sort of stuff versus long-term brand stuff. Um, the problem is if you ask any marketer or 10 different marketers what a brand is, you're going to get 10 different questions because nobody can actually define what it is. Mm. Um, so that's problem number one. Problem number two, there is no such thing as performance or brand. What we're trying to describe here is the difference between targeting people who are in market ready to buy right now which is a very very small portion of the market generally 0.1 percent or you know five percent maximum at any one time versus uh things that may mm. affect the consumer's memory long term so that when they come in market maybe months or years down the track they remember you and can associate you and your brand and your product with the thing they want to buy and then they reach back out to you or whatever and they make a purchase decision. So for me, it's a question of time mm. lag rather than channels. What the advertising industry has done really well is that when Google and Facebook came in and threatened their advertising dollars, they then created sister agencies that were called uh, performance agencies, which is where this term comes from. And in those performance agencies, most of the channels were Facebook and Google ads and SEO and digital, you know, whatever, G generally mm. driven by an analytical Email. program. Yeah, all that kind of thing. And there's nothing wrong with those. Those are very effective. But they want to separate the brand work, which is higher profit margin and a bit more glamorous and uh, the things they can do to win big accounts mm. versus the, you know, the mm. essential, but uh, maybe less glamorous uh, channels that are more harvesting demand at any one point in time. Um, maybe at lower cost as well and um, don't require glamorous videos. So there's this polarization that doesn't really exist. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the way that I see brand versus channels. Um, so coming back to your point about campaigns versus growth, you're right. Um, you should have things that you do for a period of time and then you test them, see if they work or not. And then you either dump them mm. and do another idea or you keep it going. Mm. And there's other stuff that you always keep on all the time because you know it's working. So it's kind of like, if you've worked with agencies, mm. sometimes they have a BAU or business as usual campaign that's always going, that's already been validated. Um, and they have a test campaign. They mm. go, well, I've got this idea. Let's see if it works. And then you take the, the mm. learnings from the test campaign, you put it into BAU and you keep doing that. And that's more of the growth process. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. But also mm. it's, it's important not to polarize the distinction between the two. Exactly. And I think we've done somewhat over segmentation in the marketing department where we've made perform like there's now a term called performance branding. I mean, come on, how much shit are you going to generate like demand gen, lead gen, performance brand, growth hacks? I mean, it's all marketing. It's all marketing. Just keep it simple, really. And I think um, this growth mindset stems from another problem, which is more sort of I, I believe it's a philosophical problem of instant gratification, which in, a, in not just in marketing where tech is responsible for humans needing instant gratification in a lot of departments of life like we want our food delivered asap we want our groceries delivered we can't wait for anything anymore i think the same thing as tech has done to marketing as well with direct response and digital marketing isn't it yeah look i i think there's there's that's an important point you make there there is like and this is the, the best excuse for every brand campaign that actually doesn't produce sales. I want to be really clear here. Any brand <laughs> campaign that you release should increase sales actually more than a performance campaign if you want to brand them that way. But you should get Absolutely. immediate sales uplift. If you're not, there's something completely wrong. That brand campaign is completely off. So the excuse sometimes of mm. things not working is like, oh, it's a brand campaign. And... Um, any failure campaign is branded as a brand campaign. So that's, that's number one. But yeah, you raise a good point in terms of the, you need as a responsible uh, business owner or executive, you need to show that there's return on some of the expense. And marketing tends to attract one of the biggest expense line items. So it attracts the, uh, the accountant or the CFO or finance person's 
uh, attention always. So it's always very sensitive. And I agree, you need mm. to get some return from that investment, but you need to understand how long your sales cycle is. Um, and you need to have a, a mixture of things that definitely produce sales right now and things that will sort of build and slowly with this nonlinear growth effect compound over time. And I think you need both. It's like what mixture of the two and how much we allocate to both buckets. And it's really key to have both. If you don't have one or the other, then you know it's not really gonna work. Um, but yeah, there's so many other elements. I think it's really important to understand that though. Exactly, exactly. Um, so I think we've established your um, philosophy or marketing. We've had a good debate about um, just marketing and growth. I think we've established that there's over-segmentation for no real reason. There's a place for everything and there is a good way to do. Another thing that I want to touch upon that's very confused often, well, I've seen it confused, is positioning and branding. Uh, how do you, what's, what's the difference between the two, right? What, what's, what, what is positioning basically? Let's, let's first talk about that. What is positioning? How do you see positioning? So positioning can be at a brand or a product level, number one. So let's just put that aside for now. But positioning is just, I would call it the pitch of your offering. So if you've ever done a sales pitch before, I could be selling a toothbrush, but the way that I sell it, the way that I put it in the customer's mind and everything that goes with that pitch, if you will, is kind of what I would call positioning. So ultimately, you want to be differentiating generally a, a commoditized product offering uh, in a slightly different way. And coming back to your point, that's where all these terms come from, because agencies and departments and growth or whatever, are just trying to position themselves in different areas of the market, but it's all essentially the same thing. Um, so look, positioning is just mm -hmm. where do you want to be in the mind of your customers? Think of it I think Kimberly Whitler says it's the best. Um, she uh, likens it to, have you played the game Battleships before? You know, the board game? Bat you... I, I play Battlefields, not, not Battleships. Battleships is just like a board game and you put your ships down in certain grids. Uh, so it's A to you know, F or whatever and one to three, you know, nine down uh, the Y and X axis. And they do the same thing mm -hmm. as a divider in between. So you can't see where they put their ships. And then you, you fire um, you know, artillery shells, metaphorically, via coordinates. So you go, oh, A3. And then if your ship is, is covering part of that, that quadrant, then, you know, that's one hit and you have different size ships and stuff like that. And the point is, um, you are in a market full of competitors and you have to decide where do I want to be in that so that I, I'm not getting directly compared to other competitors and what space can I own and defend within that broader market. And that's a very nuanced discussion but i mean coming back to maybe some of your clients who are tradies or whatever like you know chippy what's why would i pick one chippy over the other chippy like they'll basically do the same thing and and then and then they go well i'm better quality mm. one or i can do a faster i can do a cheap or i i use this method or i have this team or whatever so as a customer let's reverse it and go how would i choose between options when i'm faced with direct competitors and that's why positioning is quite important mm. it can be something as simple as mm. i don't know we have really responsive customer service and we're really known for it we'll be on time you know we'll do the job when we say we do and we're very reliable and that could be a defensible position given that you know some traders <laughs> excuse me go the other way mm. and um you know trying to stuff projects so that's mm. that's positioning so, so positioning um, can can positioning from a B two B tech um, um, perspective, positioning could be from a point of view, or does it have to have that product feature? Or do you only position yourself based on the differentiation within the product, or could it just be a point of view? I mean, positioning could be on based on point of view, can't it? So there's different ways you can do it. And this is where we need to make the distinction between brand level, which uh, affects the whole organization and all the products that come under the organization versus a specific product offering. Um, so maybe you could have one brand that has multiple products and they're all positioned in different ways. Um, anyway, that aside, let's just go, how do we position is kind of the, the question you're asking here. And there is no really right answer here. Um, to 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 not do positioning though that doesn't provide a value benefit to the organization is quite key here so um it's more about if the customer realizes your positioning or not that is the difference so i could say that i'm better or mm. quicker or whatever but if it's not the case and, and if the customer doesn't perceive it is the case then it, it's all yeah. mute so um 
it's really important that it's taken from a customer perspective. But yeah, you, some people do product feature sort of things. Some people do do the vibe or branding perspective in terms of like this is our energy. You'll probably notice with your client base as well that you maybe attract certain personalities or uh, businesses in certain mm. phases of their life or certain cultures that sort of just gel mm. with you and your team and the personalities within your team. And you'll, you'll tend to attract more mm. of them because of that. And you, the ones who don't choose you will be of the opposite persuasion. So um, it's kind of important. And as a business leader, you might sort of see those things happening and double down on that and go, okay, well, I want to protect this niche because all my customers are kind of like this and they kind of resonate with this thing that I'm doing and the way we pitch this and they kind of like my vibe on this and I joke around a bit and they like, or maybe they like my service staff mm. and all pretty attractive, you know, whatever it is. Um, and you kind of just double down on your mm. owner and you, 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 you sort of like strengthen that feature within your product offering and make it very apparent to new prospects. So, so you, you lead me to a very interesting point. <clears throat> So you said positioning should make sense to the customer, right? And when we talk about that, there's a, a thought comes to my mind that positioning informs segmentation or is it the other way around? Um, so, I mean, this, this part of the strategy that I do is called SDP, which is segmentation targeting positioning. Um, basically what that means is that we've got a big market and most businesses, let's just say, they're almost in a state of perfect competition. Your agency is one, one of thousands, right? Um, most businesses are like this. It's very mm. rare to be in a free space, a blue ocean you know, monopoly. So let's just discount that. So most yeah. people have way more competitors than they're willing mm. to admit to. So then within that, um, you then want to go, okay, well, look, this is my total market, which is like billions or trillions of dollars. Let's go, I've got this sort of resources and this is what I do. So let's take that portion of the market. That's called, I've um, segmented the, the market based on some criteria. And then I'll go, that's my target market. Okay, so then you're taking a very large TAM or total addressable market and you're making it smaller into a SAM, so a serviceable addressable market or, or, or target market, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't really matter. A smaller portion of the bigger pie. And then you go, this is kind of what I'm then going to project to that smaller um, portion of the market positioning. Um, and hopefully that resonates with that smaller portion because I've already some, done some tests, hopefully. I'm not just making a blind guess. And therefore, mm -hmm. I will be more defensible, more able to acquire more people out of that smaller pool from the greater pie, and uh, they'll be more effective. And then it's a, an effectiveness and efficiency uh, advan uh, advantage to my expenditure of resources within my marketing department. Excellent. So that's pretty clear that you segment first, you identify, you get very clear on the audience, and then you work on the positioning, not the other way around. Yeah, it, it comes back to cool. just the resource cool. constraint, um, right? Like, like, you can't be everything to everybody. And if you are, um, you become nothing to nobody in particular. Well, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, I, I see a lot of like, even like just talking about the digital marketing agency space, right? There's so many generic uh, digital marketing agencies and they sell. I mean, they're profitable. They're making a bit of money. They've got a few clients, but like they're not substantial businesses or they're not really cutthroat innovative businesses. To be something of some significant mass, I think you have to be um, a bit more clear on who you serve. It's true, but also it depends what's your objective here. You want to carve out a defensive niche and sell, like become really big, or you just want to have some cash. And you can do that through distribution deals and preferentials and networks and things like that. And, and just harvest cash and never be very innovative, but like kind of like Google, but you just insert yourself into the, the pipes of the bigger ecosystem and just harvest a, a margin off that. And mm. that, can, that can work. I think sometimes the mistake with positioning, targeting and segmentation is that um, and people think that they need to be really unique and really different. And it's not always the case. You can just be reliable and standardized and um, that could be your really lucrative positioning. Like, okay, well, it's not the best agency in the world, but I know that I won't get ripped off and things will be done on time. And if I need to call them, they'll respond within this time. And you can be the sort of the uh, reliable kind of Volvo car in the agency world, if you know what I mean. Like, not going to impress anybody, but it's not exactly. going to break down. So um, that is a positioning um, <laughs> well, angle that you could always go with. But anyway. Well, I, I would disagree with that Volvo point. I mean, they're producing some killer cars, man. <laughs> they, they have changed. They have definitely evolved, as you've probably seen. So. <laughs> okay, so coming back, coming to the next point, um, uh, marketing. The function of marketing. 
who is it meant to serve, John, uh, especially in a B2B environment? Um, is it meant to serve the customer or is it meant to serve the sales department? I kind of open a can of worms, but like, I, I'm, generally it serves egos um, within the organization. Um, generally the ego of the marketer themselves, <laughs> the ego of the agency uh, supplying the service or, or the founder or, or um, owner of the business. Um, that's where a lot of marketing, to be honest with you, where a lot of marketing spend goes. It's like, I want to be on Google. My friends are on Google. They said it's really good, so I want to be on Google. And that's kind of how decisions are made. They're not always made very strategically. So um, you get a lot of human influence here um, that shouldn't be discounted. But um, yeah, coming back, <laughs> coming back to your question, like who should it serve? I mean, in a perfect world, it should serve the customer. Um, you should be a conduit and a representative of the market, like I mentioned before, and bring that force back within the organization. Um, where it gets tricky is <clears throat> perhaps and where it gets distorted from that purist sort of view of, of the function is uh, where it sort of makes people mm. internally feel uncomfortable or personal incentives get in the way. And really, is that market incentivized to grow the company? Do they earn more money if things work out? Yes or no? There's a lot of caveats to that within every organization. And you need mm. to be very mindful about what that marketer is really incentivized and motivated to, to achieve. Um, sometimes it's just make me look good get me on Google, um, you know, mm. make sure that my ads appear so that the ad, the, the owner sees them on Saturdays, even though nobody buys on Saturdays, like you know, crazy stuff like that, that I've, I've figured out is quite important. Um, so I think that that internal element can never be uh, ignored. But I mean, yeah, ultimately, we should be um, that voice of reason and, and helping other people in the departments, um, understand better the market and needs, what makes them buy, um, at greater frequency, at a higher price, <laughs> to, to give a very blunt and mm. concise answer. Mm. Mm. Exactly. And, and the reason I ask this is because a lot of the times I do see um, marketing departments working under the pressure of sales and, and pretty sure. much reporting pretty much reporting to the head of sales. And, you know, it's all about them. You ask them, what are you doing? Oh, we're generating leads for the sale department to follow up on. Well, whereas when you focus your mindset on doing marketing for the customer, it's a completely different ballgame, isn't it? It's a you, tactically you get very different. It's, it's a very, you get very different in your approach on how you execute marketing. So that's the reason I was asking. And I mean, I, my opinion is that it would be more optimal if you go and you go with the mindset of serving the customer rather than sales. Yeah, I mean, there's two different things. What the customer wants. Uh, what the business wants and they're not always the same thing. Um, you know, business is there to make money. Sometimes what the customer wants is unrealistic and you maybe if you gave them exactly what they wanted, you wouldn't make any money. So there's that consideration. There's a bit of friction there, right? But what marketing yeah. should always be, be doing is being mindful of where value is created. So if I had to distill marketing function down to first principles, it's like, where is value created and enhanced? Where can I capture value? Um, how can I do it better, faster, um, you know, potentially with less resources or let's simplify the process, for example. Um, so what you're getting to here is uh, mm. generally uh, you need to be mindful of um, the phase of the business. So the larger the business, the more bureaucracy there is, the less they really care about marketing functions directly supporting the sales process or even sales outcomes, to be honest with you. It tends to go into this like, ethereal mm. land of, of the brand, um, right? But um, it becomes more of a support mechanism rather than a, than a sales revenue driver. So um, generally, though, at the small end of the business, um, the marketing function is generally seen as very sales outcome focused. Now, the paradox here is that that requires a lot more skill um, as a marketer, which is why everyone mm. thinks marketers are, mm. are, are dumb, because you're actually putting them in a harder situation. Um, if you ask any salesperson, uh, should I... Uh, is it easy to sell for a, a big established brand or a smaller one? They'll always say the big one, right? Um, there's just less education. There's course, innate yeah. trust and reputation built up. So um, I think marketers at smaller companies, which I have done personally, by the way, is a much better training ground, but also way more difficult. Often you're in a, a state of perfect competition. Mm. You've got really restrained resources. You can't reach everyone. So you basically need to be better at your job. And I think that that is um, really hard because generally those businesses can ill afford someone of that skill set to to hire. So you get this kind of eternal disappointment with the marketing function, and then it sort of regresses into this sort of lead Jenny sort of state, and and it goes from there. Hmm. 
Interesting, interesting. And yeah, it's definitely, I mean, for, when you're working for a bigger brand, whether you're doing marketing or sales, I mean, just the brand, brand halo carries you, right? You could be shit at your job and you could still kill it. So <laughs> at, at the smaller businesses where you get to prove your mettle. Uh, so spot on about that. Um, I, I want to move ahead and I want to talk about something that's really top of mind. Not just me, probably a lot of people in, in the marketing world right now. Content, the role of content. Um, so many people talking, particularly on LinkedIn, about content is the new everything, right? Ads are dead. SEO is dead. Everything is dead. So how do you see the role of content in B2B marketing right now? <laughs> um, well, like, it's very hard to do any type of marketing without any content. Um, first of all, what is content? Um, it, yeah. Generally, this is where it's come from. It's come from these early SEO days of blog content. Right, um, which in uh, attracted lots of traffic via optimization through the website, which you could then harvest a lead. Uh, so it was a longer burn sort of process, but also um, it was scalable, low cost. Um, and then of course, social media came around and then social media, you can't do much on social without content. Um, you need pictures, mm. you need texts, you need videos. So then it was mm. sort of like content 2.0. Um, and then Obviously, the yields from both those things are very low these days or waning. So then it's like content 3.0, which is, okay, let's become a media company. And through a media company, we'll magically, um, I don't know, game some algorithms and it'll just magically promote itself and distribute itself. And, and that's, that's the sort of dream that a lot of social media experts and, and other people will, will give you. But um, look, content, it used to be just called creative in the advertising days. So that was shorthand for the, the artwork or the, the visuals and, and copy that you would use uh, for advertising. So it's True. kind of like, that's an old term. Now it's content. I think Gary V has lost the answer for here because um, that was a word that he used a lot. But for me, um, you know, it's just text, images, video, and other multimedia that you use to disseminate your message uh, to the market. And that message could be in video mm. form, could be in image form. Text form could be on the phone call. Um, doesn't really matter. I think what's why it's topical now, coming back to your question, is because um, some of these yield from these other channels, uh, digital generally, have uh, have diminished quite a bit. And um, creating your own content tends to be harder to replicate. It can give a really good quality signal to people that hey, I'm actually a, you know, I've gone to the trouble of doing this. So it's a high friction. Uh, activity in itself. So that could be a good quality signal to potential buyers um, mm. who may want your services. So, And also, um, it's become easier than ever before. So uh, there's there's AI systems that can create blog posts at the touch of a button. There is a g generative uh, image programs, video programs now. Um, and a lot of the tools have really come down in price. So you don't need a crazy Adobe suite and editor at you know, $200 an hour to create your own videos. Um, TikTok's a great example of that with a new sort of video uh, editing uh, software that a lot of people use and then just export and put in another program. So um, I think the barriers to entry will come down to mm. answer the question. And also um, it is a more defensible position, but it's not appropriate for all situations. Hmm. Well, I have actually, I'm, I'm, I'm very bullish on content. Uh, and when I say content, I, I mean organic social media content. That's what I'm referring to. Okay. Um, that's what content is for me. And I'm very bullish on that, particularly from a B2B service standpoint, like for, for especially in your B2B service business, kind of like myself or yourself, I think uh, I see it as uh, the equivalent of product led, being product led, right? I mean, you can't, we can't at service business, we can't offer a premium, right? But we can put out content that actually demonstrates what you're, what you're going to be signing up for when you come to us. It's, it's a great indicator of who we are and what we can deliver. Yeah, I think, you know, where I would start so, with content to, to answer your question um, and in any other business, really, is I would start with the what we call sales enablement piece. And all that means is a fancy word for things that help the sales process along. So um, if you're any business, you'll, you'll inevitably, if you're exposed to sales at any level or customer service, there are certain questions that people answer and need answered and, sorry, questions people ask and need answered. Uh, FAQs was the first iteration of this on a website. But the, the point is there's a standard set of like what I call sales objections or things that you need to talk to your, your prospective customer about and, and, and get across. And the point is I always start recommending there because that is going to compress your sales cycle down. It's going to qualify leads quicker and easier. And even if without 
your interaction. You could put this online or automate the sequence so that a new inquiry comes through at you know, 12 a.m. at night and they get the sequence of like, hey, these are probably your top three mm. questions. Here's a video I've done on all three. And they go, oh, wow, this company actually really knows mm. what my concerns are without me even prompting them. Wow, these guys actually know their shit, right? And I'm going to trust them because of that. And mm. those videos are really well produced. And wow, nobody else is doing this. The other three people are... I, I inquired with didn't do any of this and you know they're going to get back to me in three days i'm going to go with that company so uh, that's where i see the value of content at a very sales sort of department level and and that's where i think the marketing mm. and sales team can work really well together to produce that content but then i think broader than that there's there's the the the, the brand piece as well which is uh you know kind of what you're doing with the, the podcast is a slow burn but ramps itself up and mm. established credibility and um and you go from there so yeah, there's two ways to cut the content piece Absolutely, absolutely. Talking about content, I mean, uh, something that's, that thrives on content is SEO. Uh, what, are you, what, are you, what are your thoughts on SEO or, and particularly on the effectiveness of SEO? How high is SEO in your uh, list of marketing tactics or channels these days? Well, I mean, that was one of the primary things that I sold um, when I started the agency back in 2014 or 15. Um, so I'm very well versed in that. And I've seen the evolution over time. Um, some of my, my contacts are like, were there when Google came on stage on skates um, to say, hey, we're Google. Um, and those are some of my, mm -hmm. my mentors back in the day, which is interesting. But it has evolved a lot. Um, it used to be very easy to game. Obviously, like coming back to the growth process, they're, they're taking that feedback cycle of spammers and making it harder and harder and harder because Google's increasingly monetizing that space for their own properties. And also, they want to sell advertising because that's what they make money off. They don't make money off giving away free traffic, qualified traffic to, to companies. So um, it's changed a lot. It's a lot harder. It's increasingly harder, uh, increasingly relying on a lot of brand signals as well. I think that doesn't get talked about a lot. So a lot of SEO um, companies will talk about content and links, which are very important, uh, but also the brand piece and the, the longer term um, signals of mm. quality and, and reliability, coming back to you know reviews and diversity of things and maintenance of, of the, the web property and things like that really come into play there. So there's a lot of hidden quality signals that I think um, maybe don't get talked about as much as others. Um, but I wouldn't expect generally, you know, now that Google and, and Facebook are under heavy earnings pressure, I wouldn't expect them to give away any more free or make it any easier anytime soon. So the yield's always going to diminish over time. Um, and you just need to be mindful of that if you have unrealistic expectations about that channel. Another interesting piece on SEO is that, and I don't have any data to back it up. I'm just purely talking from what I have seen from my own behavior. Uh, I've seen my behavior shift and, and how I use Google, right? It used to be I search something up I don't know about on Google, a blog comes up, I read it, and I believe that's the holy grail. I start executing on it, right? But now it's not like that. So if I know I need to dive deep into something, I'll pass through Google perhaps, but I'll go more into a Reddit community to find that, uh, or maybe a Quora, or maybe I'll go into a community of that particular niche, whatever that is. For example, say B2B marketing or email marketing, I'll find a community and go there. So are you seeing that as a broader change in behavior or is that just me? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, how far back do you want to go? But like originally um, in the early days, the forums were very big. Uh, I remember doing a lot of research in forums. It was very tiny community and you know, it was a bit static and, and slow. You know, this is before social media. Um, but like the questions are really good because you get, um, I remember researching camera back in the day and they're just these other camera enthusiasts and they just gave the best reviews. And like, oh, I don't get that one. This one's way cheaper. You know, it's better quality. Um, and then we went through this kind of like Google content phase and then social media sprang up and then you get groups and, and then eventually though, all these sort of things get infiltrated with, with people or spammers and, you know, the yields diminish and it goes to the, the dog house, yeah. but they, yeah, like I'm with you. Uh, it depends what we're talking about here, but it's especially in services. Um, uh, I don't have time to do this, <laughs> but, um, uh, I know a lot of colleagues that are part of these communities, B2B sales, the sales communities, um, there's heaps of them out there, Substack groups that are paid, Patreon groups that are just uh, full mm. of like, it's kind of like, like the new club, if you know what I mean. And people are willing to pay a bit per month to be part of that club. Um, I've set up communities for clients mm. as well from scratch. Um, so I know the power of them, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, um, it's, it's easier to get answers than ever before, but I think doing the thing and acting on it is, is a bit of a richer piece that 
is uh, a bit of free space. Mm -hmm. I, I think that sort of information age is, is over. We can get any information on anything. It's the mm -hmm. quality and it's the execution exactly. piece that is the harder thing. And maybe that's why you're seeing a bit of a move to, to those communities. Exactly. And I think that's what the game of SEO is going to be about as well. If you're going to be producing content, you better be pretty damn good at it. You know, it's, so that's, I think that's a challenge. Why? And, and that's, I think that's why a lot of people are saying that SEO doesn't work anymore because, well, it, it does work. It's just the, the, amount, the, the bar is being raised, right? Um, so uh, you talked about communities in there. You talked about setting up a few communities in there as well. So I, that's a perfect segue into the next question. Mm -hmm. what, what are your thoughts about community? And, and there's a lot of talk, especially since Web 3.0 and NFT, the, 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 the hype around building a community around your business and the narrative has become really high. What are your thoughts on that? How fruitful is it? Because I think like community needs to come from a from a place of empathy right because if you've got like ulterior motives with the community it, and you're trying to uh, monetize from that community the quality of that community is just not going to be that good and uh, the, it's not just going to perform very very well you're gonna you're gonna give a lot in order to get something back from the community so what do you think what are your thoughts on building a community around the business well let's start with the, the question of like why why do, why do you want the community um doesn't really apply to things that aren't a longer term sales cycle or um, a repeat purchase thing. Like if I'm, if I'm buying a house, I don't want to join like a house community. If I'm going to buy a house every 10 years, like I'll be in the community maybe for a week and then I'll, <laughs> I'll leave again. So first of all, you need to think from the reverse perspective, like why would someone join your community that you want to build or facilitate? Um, and what's going to keep them there? Um, you know, what keeps them coming back, wanting more, wanting to participate? For me, I think the perfect distinction here is um, a community is where someone can contribute and give back and also have sort of autonomy over or direction in the community itself so that there's this push and pull. I think if you think of a community as just like, oh, I, want a, I want a cheap way of reaching people, like just start a newsletter. You know what I mean? Like that's... A, so it's kind of like a people think newsletters or a Substack thing is a community. It's not like so a community like is is about people contributing to the community, not just in replying to things that you've posted or content you've generated, but also asking them, hey, can you can you come on this webinar? Or can you create a video about this for the other community? So it's this this altruistic um, and egotistical sort of blend, if you know what I mean. So you give and you take and. All people should be generally doing that. Um, I think where people make the mistake here is that maybe it's not appropriate for the product category or whatever they, they sell. Um, number two, they underestimate how much time and resources goes into this. So creating that stickiness, creating the content to attract them in the first place, uh, moderating it, you know, filtering out spammers, all that kind of thing. So it shouldn't be undertaken lightly. I think why it's trending right now is because, again, some of these other channels have been... Um, the yields have been diminishing and they're going, okay, well, let's just do content. Let's do communities. And yeah, that's great. They can work, but they take a lot longer than people, I think, um, want to admit to having not done it before, mm. which I have. Um, they're hard to get started. Um, but once you have them and you've got a formula working, they do run away to a certain extent. Um, but they're a constant mm. beast that you need to manage. Oh yeah, totally, totally. I, I, I built a community, a small community myself. It wasn't a very huge community. So I'm originally from Pakistan and when I came here, I started my business. I built a little community based on Pakistani businesses, small business owners. That's how I started my agency around that. And oh, man, till this day, like it's a constant, constant thing that I need to monitor and keep in check. And that's, that's and money, frankly, right? You're, the you're returns are not that great. <laughs> Exactly. And frankly, the, if the returns are not as the worth the effort, to be honest, if I'm just looking from a monetary or a fiscal standpoint. But the brand, yeah, I mean, I mean everyone knows me in the community now. Um, so, yeah, that's that's nice. You, you talked about Substack in there. That's something that I've been very keen to check out. And I've listened to a couple of your podcast episodes. So I know you're on Substack. What's your? This is this wasn't the part of the okay. list, but I just want to take your opinion. But what's your experience on Substack? How how is that? Is it good? Oh look, there's heaps of these platforms around. I mean, there's Beehive, um, which is uh, you know, uh, what's a morning brews kind of people? They started that one to create their you know their morning yeah, yeah. brew thing. Um, there's Patreon. There's Kajabi's platforms. You know, there's all these sort of monetization sort of turnkey things. But I think 
what's happened is you've probably seen this with MailChimp and some of these newsletter programs and email newsletter programs is that I've sort of morphed into a bit of a richer experience where you can have chats a bit more dynamic sort of back and forth. You can, you know, put your podcast feed in there, richer content, sort of like all these different software products are kind of merging into each other's domains. And I think Substack has just done that well. Mm. They've reduced some of the barriers to that. So a lot of um, professional writers have been targeted. So professional journalists um, have been targeted by yeah. Substack uh, who write for major newsletters. And mm. they've, they've used it as a way to sort of have their side gig and monetize editorial content that takes them a long time. Um, on the side of the the day job, so there is a lot of good um, people on there. But again, it's just a platform. Um, there's alternatives, um, and again, it bleeds into other areas. But it, it's just like a newsletter, a tiny yeah, bit of steroids. The, the reason I talk about it, the, the reason I talk about it is because I actually got introduced to the Substack on J the Joe Rogan podcast, where their founder was on the Joe Rogan podcast to talk about it. And it, from the sounds of it, it sounds like. Uh, pretty quality platform with some pretty quality contributors of I've been meaning to check it out but I haven't just found the time to do it but yeah cool cool um, you talked about another interesting point uh, and, and I think that's something that every marketer is aware uh, these days the diminishing returns or the uh, the difficulty level on, on different digital channels and a, a, a newborn interest into out-of-home advertising um, and and I, I, I when I sent you that question you said I'm, I'm big here uh, so talk to me about it. Are, are you running any out of home uh, or are you focusing on out of home, out of home and how is that going for you? Uh, yes, yes and no. I mean, I interviewed uh, the um, CEO of the Outdoor Association of Australia um, about this topic, about out of home. Um, so I'm pretty well versed. But mm -hmm. what came out of that, the, the TLDR um, summary was that um, back in the day, and this is a really good story, actually, uh, you know Spotify, obviously, most people do, but do you remember this yeah. this brand called Pandora, which was actually bigger before Spotify came on, on the scene? Yeah. Okay, so um, mm -hmm. what Spotify did in Australia specifically, and they copied this across the world, was they just came in and just bought out all these billboards and all this outdoor, and everyone was like, who's this Spotify thing? They must be big if they can afford, you know, all these you know, skyscrapers and these billboards everywhere. Like, what is Spotify? This is really cool. And, and it sort of built a bit of intrigue. And then that was kind of the catalyst that really, uh, I would say, boosted their growth locally. So I think one of the key points with Outdoor um, is, is two things, really. One is that it's a statement of ownership of physical real estate. So um, real estate that is really perceived by customers as expensive and hard to obtain, which it kind of is. I mean, you know, most placements are tens to, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a month, right? So, you know, the barriers to, to, to using those are reasonably high, but what it can do is it's kind of like marking a territory like a dogwood, right? Like I am here, I'm big, I'm in the city, I've got a presence. And this really irks back to, you know, our caveman days where we used signage like Stonehenge and, and monuments and buildings like that saying like, wow, we're a big civilization and like, look at us. Um, and you know, people would be in awe of that. And, and that is the power of outdoor. Um, does it generate leads and, and sales straight away? No, um, you know, people maybe argue against that. Depends, depends how you execute it, I would say. Um, it is a really yeah, good I've, I've seen I've seen a couple of QR codes on some buses, so I don't know. Yeah, well, what I have seen actually is more, um, leveraging that visual real estate and and the social cachet around that exclusivity and then put that creative online and social media and then that has gone viral so i know koala did this very well i know there's, there's some examples i can say to you that you know people use that as not the primary effect and they use the picture of them being on a very prominent billboard as as the main channel on other channels so um, and that secondary effect mm. in distribution and promotion of those other channels um, is actually more effective at producing the, the, the objective that they want. So uh, I think, you know, you need to think about it that way. But yeah, that's my take on it. And, and, and I think um, to your point where you said it's really expensive, I mean, I, there are options like digital out-of-home advertising, which are making it slight, a lot more affordable. In, in fact, not just slightly affordable, a lot more affordable where you can pay by the impression. Uh, I think those are some good options for someone who's looking to explore these, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's I mean, where the industry is. Um, that's, that's where it's 
heading, to be honest. Like, um, you know, it's more of like a programmatic buy rather than a manual buy. I mean, I used to, mm. um, at the advertising agency, used to be at, like, I used to have to put this artwork in and then send it off to the, the large format printer to be printed on a 12 meter by, you know, a three meter or 12 by six, I think it was, uh, meter mm. billboard. And, um, you know, we had to make sure the images were at high res and all this kind of stuff. And now it's all digital, which is really cool. But you're, yeah, you're right. Um, that's mm. the way it will ahead. Um, obviously, these screens are pretty expensive, but the, the price is always coming down. So, yeah, you're right. It'll be a programmatic buy. Um, but again, you know, think less about, you know, impressions and stuff like that and more about a statement of ownership of a particular territory. Um, a lot of tech companies in Canva included, you probably notice at airports and stuff like that and tech companies are all around that and owning that whole airport or the bus shelters and things like that and mm. train shelters. So it's a statement of, of ownership I, of, of a city in an area. A prominent one that I've been noticing is Active Campaign and HubSpot. They've been covering some trams here in Sydney that run in the eastern suburbs. So, I mean, that's an interesting... When was the last time you were in Sydney and you crossed the Anzac Bridge? Oh, uh, to North Sydney? That's the Anzac Bridge there, right? No, no, so the Anzac Bridge is the one that links uh, the city city centre to the Western Distributor. So the Western Distributor. Oh, wow, West. okay, yeah, no, I, I don't go over there very often. Um, no, not for a while. What, what, what's on there? Oh, dude, there is, there is this amazing billboard over there. Um, so if you look uh, to the left of Anzac Bridge going towards the city, there's this almost half a kilometer, I would say, long billboard. And the, the most, they, they, so it's really, really long, really stretched. It's not too um, tall, but it's really um, wide. And Subway ran a very interesting campaign on that. So they made the whole billboard into a foot long. And it was just one of the most amazing billboard ad ads that I'd ever seen. So yeah, I've probably got a picture of it. I'll, I'll probably share it with you afterwards. So yeah, okay, cool, cool. Um, okay, I think we've chatted enough about marketing and B2B and all of that stuff. Let's let's get into the rapid fire. I want to know a couple of personal things. We do this rapid fire session where I ask you a couple of, a few questions. You got to answer them in maximum three words, okay? Mm -hmm. um, so the first one is a movie or season that you're watching. A movie or season, did you say? Yeah, a movie or a season that you're watching. Ooh, okay. A Fall of Civilizations. It's a podcast. Um, oh, you can get it on a podcast or on YouTube. It's about how civilizations rise and fall. Um, it's a really good commentary. It's sort of like Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, if you know him. It's kind of like that, um, but a bit different. And it sends me to sleep every night. Um, but it's really fascinating, and it's just so interesting how sorry this is a long question uh, answer isn't it but it's really interesting how things no, no, change okay. over thousands of years interesting so what, what was it rise of civilizations the fall of civilizations fall of civilizations okay but that's a podcast you were supposed to tell me about a movie or a season man well, it is a season thing. Okay, so movie or season? Um, <laughs> okay, uh, okay, movie Ronan. Ronan. Okay, Ronin, cool, uh, cool. Robert De Niro. Favorite food. Good. Uh, favorite food. Ooh, well, that's a hard one. Uh, give me a sec Come here. On. Give me a sec. Ooh, Petrosian caviar. Damn, that's fancy, man. <laughs> Favorite book? Hmm. Ooh, very hard again. Maybe the one that I was talking to someone else about today. Uh, zero to one, Peter Thiel. Oh, that's yeah, cool, cool. It's 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 funny, man. You you're 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 taking longer to answer favorite food and fav favorite movie. But when I ask about B two B marketing, you you didn't even blink an eye, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's like, what is my favorite out of like, what, thousands that I've consumed? It's kind of like, there is no one favorite. I'm not really, there's no standout for me. There's, there's a top maybe five or six, you know, for, for both of those, but it's, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Favorite holiday spot? Hmm. Somewhere skiing on a mountain. So, that's a good answer. Um, favorite brand hmm. could be anything b2b b2c whatever liquid death right now 
Liquid Death. I've heard that name. What's what's that brand about? It's basically water that's in a can, and they've positioned it and packaged it up to sound to make it look as if it's an energy sports energy performance drink because professional sports people can't actually they're quite healthy people so they don't drink sports drinks it's full of sugar and stuff like that they don't do alcohol so um liquid death basically is a perfect mm. positioning like coming back to your your former question it's a perfect example of positioning because <laughs> it's just water in a can but it's all the the brands all the um the communications and stuff that they do it's just it's hilarious go on to youtube or social media look at liquid death videos they'll uh, crack you up it's 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 really good it's really good marketing too by the way very from the sounds of it definitely yeah cool a thought leader you follow hmm. uh, ooh, this is hard i don't really believe in the term <laughs> to be honest um oh well you get the point someone who you appreciate as a professional um everett hunder in melbourne actually um he's kind of someone i confide and talk to at a pretty high level not not particularly famous, but mm -hmm. very good at what he does. Interesting. Okay, cool, cool. Favorite marketing channel? <laughs> it's like one out of 65, okay. Um, you know Pick what? one, yeah. You know what? Um, I was at the movies the other day, mm -hmm. and movies have been um, ignored during COVID, obviously, because people haven't been able to go out. But it is probably one of the only mediums right now where you have undivided attention you can have rich media experience that's geographically targeted high production value great sound great video i think it's underrated and um yeah get back into cinema that's that's a very smart answer that's a very good answer um favorite tool and an app or a software you, you could be using it for personal use or business use what's your favorite tool in your What's the important tool in your life? Hmm. Um, well, let's say that one that I use a lot, that's actually pretty high value. I mean, we're using Riverside right now, which is a, um, a sort of almost loss, lossless uh, video recording and audio recording program, which is quite good, which I use as well. But I think Descript, um, when it comes to editing and cutting up and transcribing things is something that I use quite a bit and it's, it's quite good. Um, although they've kind of gone a bit crazy with the product features recently. Cool, cool. An unpopular marketing opinion. I think you might have given us that, but let's try that again. Oh, geez. Um, there is no difference between performance and brand, I think is the main takeaway. I've got a video on this on YouTube. You should check it out where I go into more detail and explain it for like 10 minutes. Um, but yeah, I think it's a really key learning mm -hmm. there that will reorientate your thinking. I explain why it's a bad you know, dichotomy that doesn't exist and what you can do about it. So yeah, check that out. Cool, cool. What's the most valuable lesson that you've learned in your career so far? Valuable lesson, wow. Um, I think, I mean, let's just keep it on topic here. Um, just be really mindful of incentives here. And I think incentives really drive outcomes. So, and I sort of alluded to this a bit about marketers, like are they incentivized to really produce more revenue? Like, well, can they be stuffed? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you can put all these policies in place and procedures and blah, 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 and, and SOPs, whatever. But really, ultimately, the the incentives underneath drive that behavior, incentivize that behavior. So be really mindful of, of what they are, figuring them out. And this really helps you become a better marketer because you what people say is important to them often isn't always the case because there's layers of politics and personality at the top of that. So really drill down to like what, and this is very stoic sort of philosophy here, Marcus Aurelius, but like, what is that person? What do they want? What motivates them? And understand that a bit better. And coming back to your word about empathy is kind of what you're, you're talking about there. So incentives drives behavior mm -hmm. is, is my quip. Excellent, excellent. Um, on topic of marketing, the final question would be, what is your one key piece of advice to an aspiring or upcoming B2B marketer? Oh, um don't think channel first i think a lot of people rush to tactics they rush to think about channels and i see this expressed a lot with like go-to-market strategies or you know marketing strategies or growth strategies or whatever and they start with the channel and i think um my piece of advice is like start with understanding and a deep understanding of your customer and your target market 
um, do some research piece and that will then answer those other things that you need to answer, like which channel do I reach them at? Like what is the most effective? Like, so always orientate yourself, like do proper market research that isn't based on analytical tools, like call somebody up, have an in-depth uh, interview with them, you know, observe them as they're using or prospecting with your, with your product and, or after, you know, they've, they've bought with you and, you know, do another interview. Like that really deep understanding, I think can be really lost because we can hide behind our computer screens and sort of be a bit detached from what's actually going on. So I think, um, yeah, that, that, that piece is really good. Just, um, it always starts with, with the customer and with the market and not with the channel. Spot on. I actually did a TikTok video on it that no one actually, it didn't go viral. I wanted it to go viral, <laughs> but only two people liked it. <laughs> Maybe like, people don't like it. I said exactly the same. People don't like listening to the truth. Um, so it's not very popular. You need to, you need to be a bit more, uh, you know, um, you need to intentionally spread mistruths and that's the stuff that gets popular on social media. <laughs> Yeah, but maybe if I put a Kim Kardashian picture on top of that and just my audio, maybe it works. I don't know. Yeah. Inject something into your lips. And your All right, nose. cool. James. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could be that. <laughs> All right, James. Um, thank you so much, man. Uh, this was uh, probably really helpful. My, my intention was to actually cover the basics and fundamentals of B2B and to help people basically see more clearly. And I think you did that really well. So thank you for that. And thank you for your time. Um, yeah, man. Uh, this was really good. Sounds good, man. Right? I enjoyed it. Uh, thanks for having me on. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Thank you.